Hello there, Renormal Missionary Baptist Church. It's good to be with you today through this podcast. We're going to try to do our midweek sermon recap. Uh, We're in a series now for the Christmas season. And what we're doing is we're trying to look at some of the covenants that God had made with his people and how then Christ fulfills these covenants. And so last, uh, Spencer, Pastor Spencer started this series for us, focusing in on Genesis chapter 3 and how God, after the fall, had spoke to the man and the woman, but also to the serpent, and really focusing in on the promise that there is one to come whose heel will be bruised, but that he will crush the head of the serpent. And so Pastor Spencer talked about that. I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you hadn't had that opportunity. Uh, But this past Sunday, I was able to preach this week, and our focus was on the covenant that God had made with Abraham back in Genesis, Genesis 12, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 in particular is where we spent uh, some of our time as we looked at this. Uh, Why, Scott, do you think it's important, or why are we taking time to even look at these covenants in light of Christmas? What do you think? I mean, because in light of Christmas, what you see in the coming of Christ is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise that God has made in these covenants. Mm -hmm. And so... If Christ is the true fulfillment of all that God has promised, uh, then what we what you clearly see in these promises, explicit, very explicitly, especially in the case of Abraham, are the promises that God has made to His people, and He's bringing those about through Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, the advent of Christ or the coming of Christ is is the beginning of that fulfillment that we see of of actually happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's impossible as a preacher. And I would dare say as a teacher, too, like in Sunday school, when you're teaching the Christmas story, to not run into the Easter story. Correct? Say that again? It's hard when you're teaching to not take Christmas story, but also discuss the Easter story. Sure. You just can't really keep together. Now, when we get to the Easter time, a lot of times people will just talk about the resurrection. They they don't talk too much about the Christmas story, maybe, and all that's entailed there. Mm -hmm. But you still see it because... You can't talk about Easter without talking about the fact that Jesus was truly God and truly man. Mm-hmm. And that's what we talk about in Christmas. It's like a big a big focus. Yeah. Well, it's it's a reminder that you can't talk about Easter without talking about Christmas either right. because the things that were accomplished at Easter or, you know, as we talk about in the, his mm-hmm. death and resurrection, resurrection, he couldn't have done that if he didn't have a body. Yeah. He right. couldn't have done that if he had not come as man. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a... It's like a sandwich. You have the beginning, you have the end. Yeah. Um, and we're still waiting for the the dessert. Yeah. The the consummation of all things. And so one of the things we thought would be neat as a staff is if we looked at these covenants that God made with his people thousands of years ago to see how that's relevant to us still today and very important for us today. Uh, and you know, the old testament is very valuable. It's something, it's God's inherent word. It's something that we need to trust. And uh, God has this story weaved throughout scripture where he makes these covenants with this chosen people that he calls his people, Israel. And he makes these promises to them that are, that are very important. And so, like I said, we're talking about the fall, how he, he made that covenant with uh, Adam, Eve, and also the serpent, uh, the covenant with Abraham, which our focus will be today. Uh, Next week, Pastor Scott is going to be preaching on the Mosaic Covenant, how God made a covenant of the law with Moses, with Israel there. And then we'll be looking at God's covenant with David, that David would be 
a king and that his line would remain forever and that the Savior would actually come from the line of David and the importance of that. And so those are the covenants that we'll be looking at and just how important they are. But let's focus in on the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, this was Abraham's name before it was changed, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a big deal that God has called Abram out of this land that he's lived his whole life, that his family has lived. Um, It's kind of implied, I think, as we read scripture, I think you'd agree with this, that Abraham seems to have some money. They weren't necessarily poor. They they seem to have some possessions in it. Mm-hmm. So it seems like his family was probably pretty well off in this land that mm-hmm. they that they lived in. And we don't know how this happened. We just all we have is this right here. But somehow at some point, God called Abram out. Yeah. And it was simply what we read here. You need to get up and go. Now I don't know if in your life you've ever had this opportunity or had this put on you. I'm talking to those who are listening, those church members who are listening. But that's a daunting task still today. You can speak to that maybe even a little more than me because mm-hmm. it wasn't too long ago that me and you talked on the phone and you lived in a faraway land of Kentucky. Yeah. Right? I promised. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was prom- I was telling you there's a chance to come to the promised land. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dreary darkness and cold. But that's daunting, yeah. isn't it? I mean, to get your family and move, go. I mean, for some, it might seem exciting. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some aspect to that that is exciting. But man, in the moment, it, that's a difficult thing. And to see Abraham honest, say, okay, and he went. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, what it, what it takes and what's highlighted about Abraham's action later in the New Testament, and it even says it in the Old Testament, is that Abraham believed God. You know, God had made these promises to him. And he believed them, and that's that was counted to him as righteousness. And so, I mean, even in the case like the example you brought up of me coming here, in order for me to be willing to do that, I had to have a certain level of trust of the people who were wanting to bring me there. Mm-hmm. And that was the number one thing that had to be established. And so, and Abraham did. He, he did believe the promise of God. Um, surely the people who were around him, his own family, that wherever he was at at the time, thought he was nuts. Like, where are you going? You've got everything you need here. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but he believed God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and I tried to make this point in the sermon, and I think it's very important, because if when you look at Joshua, there's a passage in Joshua where it points out that Abraham and his fathers, they served other gods. They had served pagan gods, and so they were sinners, obviously sinners, not looking for God because they thought that they had God. Uh, but yet God called Abraham out and chose him and showed him grace, gave him grace. Because when, in fact, Abraham and his family should have been wiped away in a flood like all the wicked people during Noah's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, regardless of that, sinners, we see that God gives grace. But we see an important thing happen of faith in Abraham's life. It says it says later, like in Hebrews, that by faith, Abraham Mm-hmm. went out when God had called him. So we start to see already this grace and faith connection thing yeah. that is very important still today for those who are called to be saved, right? Mm-hmm. By grace, through faith, in Christ. Now, Abraham, in this case, God didn't say, hey, I'm going to bring this guy named Jesus. He's going to be fully God, fully man. No, but 
as we see later in Scripture, uh, which I brought up in the sermon, Jesus himself points out as he's talking to a group of Pharisees and a group of people saying, Abraham actually saw my day and believed and was happy mm-hmm. with it. And so we see this connection even with Jesus that, yeah, this whole by grace through faith in Christ, even Abraham was looking was looking to that day, uh, according to Jesus, and what in that Abraham was excited excited about it. Well, if you uh, continue on after Genesis twelve, there are some things that happen in Genesis thirteen and fourteen. You can read with Abraham and his family, who have left uh, with his brother in law Lot and different things. Or no, yeah, Lot's his brother in law, right? Having a brain. Come on, help me out. I don't know. I didn't study this passage this past week. We study this as little kids. <laughs> I didn't. Anyways, I'm having a brain. I'm having a brain thing. Sorry. I know what's coming later, and that's what my mind is on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyways, we get to Genesis 15, and God reestablishes this covenant again with Abraham, but there's something special that happens. God tells Abraham to make a sacrifice. And so he he actually lists out, get a heifer, get a goat. He says their ages, bir- birds. And what Abraham does is it says he sacrifices them, but then he splits them. And this was a common thing that was done uh, over there in the east during this time and even extended because we see it happen in Jeremiah as well of where the two people who are covenanting together will pass through the sacrifice saying, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, let me be like these beasts that we have killed that are slaughtered and now the birds of prey are eating on their carcasses. I mean, that's how serious a covenant was and so we actually have secular accounts that you can find if you want to go look of kings doing this together of making a covenant together. We yeah, even this, ha- this practice was not explicitly biblical. No, like this isn't something that only you see the characters of the Bible doing. Right, this is something that you can read uh, ancient clay tablets that have been. Well, I mean, we can't read them, but <laughs> yeah, they've I been translated. Mm-hmm. Like that have the the just like this, like this very specific formula of a covenant that's made between a king and his people or a king and another nation. And uh, this is not something that's explicitly biblical. This is something that Abraham would have been familiar with, this kind of form of a a covenant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it was his nephew. Lots his nephew. Got it. I knew I was messing that up. Apologize. (laughs) So we see this happening, but what what is fascinating in this case is we don't have two parties walking through the sacrifice. We only have one. We have God who's represented of the burning pot and that going through going through the sacrifices, and we see it's a one-sided covenant, which if you know the rest of the story in the Old Testament, you learn it had to be, or it was all going to fall apart because Israel constantly didn't keep their end of the covenant, which was to obey, which is something you're going to speak more to Mm -hmm. um, next week with the law and how often we fall short of the law there. But we again, I, I just I wanted to point out Genesis 15 because I could have just said, here's the covenant that was made, but I really wanted us to see God alone walking through the sacrifices and the importance of it being a one-sided covenant. Because still today, when we are saved by grace through faith, I think what gets lost a lot in a lot of churches is this is a one-sided thing that's happening here. You know, God has chosen us. God has saved us. God has redeemed us. And we trust in that by faith. We trust by faith that he has done this work for us, and it's not a work that we can do. Mm-hmm. And so it is a great picture that we see here with Abraham of what is happening in our lives still today mm-hmm. uh, when God saves us by his grace mm-hmm. through faith. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and again, it's at the it's in the very first book 
mm-hmm. of the Bible. So it's not something that Paul made up or or Peter made up. This is this is something God made up. Yeah. From the beginning of time, mm-hmm. this was the plan all along, and I think it's really cool to be able be able to see that. Well, in Genesis 17, God again makes this promise to Abraham to be the God of his descendants. And this is the major theme that we're seeing with this covenant, that God is their God and God will make sure of it, that he has chosen them and they are his and God isn't going to let that change, that he is going to make sure that this that this happens. And so uh, I, I said it that I got these next four points, which they're not like earth-shattering points. I think anybody can see them in the covenant, but I just wanted to make reference that uh, Graham Goldsworthy in his book, Gospel and Kingdom, lays these promises that we see God make here. And I thought that they were good to to kind of mimic and to follow to help us get to see the importance of the Abrahamic covenant and how Christ fulfills it. Uh, because really the first three promises wouldn't mean anything for me as a non-Jewish person. Because the first three, you know, God promised Abraham his descendants would become a great nation. Mm-hmm. All right, so Abraham's going to have kids, and they're going to become a great nation, and we we actually see that in in the Bible, right? We we get to Moses, and why did that happen? They'd grown so big in Egypt, right? Okay, so now they're already huge, and then they go into the land, and they get the land, and uh, with David and Solomon, they we see them become a big nation, like a player within the world. Oh yeah, right. So that happens. God promised Abraham his descendants would possess the promised land, which I mentioned. We see that with Moses leading them to the promised land, Joshua taking them over the over the Jordan River into the promised land and starting to fight the battles and winning those battles and God being uh, God fulfilling his promise to give them the land. And even in that, we see Israel fail because they don't do everything they're, they're supposed to do, and they end up not getting the whole promised land because of failures that they have done. Uh, but they, they receive this promised land, of which still today it seems to be a battle. Yeah. The third one, God promised Abraham his descendants would be God's own people. So again, that God promised this. And again, go through the Old Testament and read it. Like I'd said uh, yesterday in the Kings, it's almost, I, I don't know what the percentage is. I guess you could count it up. But the percentage of times where it says, and this king continued to not do the will of the Lord, continued to worship in the high places and the Asherah pole and all this mm-hmm. uh, verse, and this king honored the Lord. You just you see more of the bad side yeah. of it where they disobeyed, but yet God is still their people. Mm-hmm. God continues to call them back. He uses those minor prophets and those major prophets that we read where he's like saying, this destruction is going to happen. These things are going to happen, but you're still my people, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be a day where I'm going to bring you back. I'm yeah. going to bring you back in the fold. This is going to happen, whatever. This is where we see a lot of prophecies about Jesus uh, mm-hmm. that we study normally on Christmas. Those three promises, in all honesty, mean nothing to us as Gentiles. That's not my nation. That's not my bloodline. That's not my land. I have no right, no claim to any of that because I'm not an heir uh, when you think of it physically. And so I almost felt like when I was preaching and and just talking about these three points that everybody in the crowd was like, who cares? Mm -hmm. But really that's the reaction. Yeah. Who does care for us? Yeah. Well, this is why we're doing this, because of the last promise. God promised Abraham that he would be a father of a multitude of nations, a multitude of nations. And so we start to see when Jesus was born or when Jesus was told that when it was told Jesus was going to be born to Mary, Zechariah and these, even in their praise, they bring up Abraham and how God is finally fulfilling the promise to which one might say, didn't he already? Mm. 
You are in the promised land. You are a great nation. God is our God. What more is there? Well, in the New Testament, it talks about, Paul says how it says to his offspring, not plural, mm-hmm. but a singular. Mm-hmm. And it was pointing to this one to come and that this is the one to come. This Jesus is the one to come. And Jesus Jesus himself makes this bold claim in John chapter 8. I've talk, he, it's where he says, it's where they decide they're going to kill him. And they actually pick up stones to kill him right there on the spot because he claims before Abraham was, I am. He takes on the name of God himself mm-hmm. and saying, I am the I am the one. I'm the one here. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. I am God. And that that's a really bold claim. But this is how it makes such a difference for us as Gentiles because what Paul then fleshes out in Galatians, and I think you had mentioned a sermon uh, that was in Acts as well, but what begins to be fleshed out by the New Testament church for us that makes this so powerful for us is that in order for Abraham to be our father and us to be an heir of Abraham and all the promises that God has made, it's not about blood. Mm. It's about this whole grace and faith thing. Yeah. I've been talking a lot. I don't know if you have anything you want to say in the midst of all that. Well, I mean, I would just say part of the promise that we see God make to Abraham at the very beginning in Acts, or not in Acts, but in Genesis chapter 12, is not just that he would be a great nation, but that through him, all the nations would be blessed. Mm -hmm. And so that's the the question of, well, what do all these promises mean for a modern-day Gentile that's converted to Christianity well, it's it's through Abraham and through his line, through these promises that God has made, all of the nations are blessed through that. God used his line. God used uh, what he was doing through Israel to accomplish all of these things. And so one of the one of the great mysteries that's talked about in the New Testament in different places is the fact that Gentiles are there's this there's the image of a vine and of a tree, and the image is that. We are wild branch. Gentiles are wild branches that are grafted into this covenant, the covenant people of God, and that's who we are. That we somehow take part in these promises that God made to Abraham, and so like you you pointed out in your sermon, the Pharisees were so confused because in their mind this was just about blood. This was just about descendancy, mm-hmm. and the great mystery of the New Testament is that no, it's not. God in His grace has grafted all nations yeah. into this promise. And so it is it is through Abraham that mm-hmm. all nations are blessed. Yeah. I mentioned John 8, but even before that in John 3, we see the confusion because Nicodemus goes to Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, you must be born again. Mm-hmm. And Nicodemus' response seems so ignorant. Mm-hmm. But it was all about a bloodline. It yeah. was all about your nation. And so Nicodemus asks a very fair question. How in the world can I be born again? Mm-hmm. Tell me I can enter my mother's womb again and yeah. be born again. And Jesus like, no. That's not what it is, right? Yeah, it's almost like the the idea of adoption. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in the same way that you're a, a a rogue branch being grafted into a new plant. You're this rogue orphan mm-hmm. that does not belong to the family of God that God has adopted into His family, and that's a that's a doctrine that we see talked about elsewhere in Scripture. Also, that mm-hmm. that's what it means to yeah. be made in Christ is that you're adopted into God's family. And so, yeah, God is building this nation. He's made these promises to Abraham. What do we have part in that? Well. You don't, yeah. but God in his grace adopts you mm-hmm. into that blessed family. And so there was a way even in the Old Testament for Gentiles to become Jews. They could go mm-hmm. through certain rituals and ceremonies yeah. 
and say, I trust in your God, and then they would be considered part of the nation. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't like foreign mm-hmm. to them. Uh, but when when Paul is arguing about the whole grace and faith thing in Galatians, he's dealing with a church that has Gentiles in it, but he's also dealing with Jewish Jewish Christians, I guess, who are saying, we call them the Judaizers, who are saying, Yes, I know that they've trusted in Jesus, but they still got to go through a couple things so that they can actually be Jewish. Yeah. So because it wasn't like a new religion had happened, they were still Jewish people, and so there was this misunderstanding and this struggle of what else needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And you'll probably hit on this some next week, but you know, they were saying you still got to keep some of the Mosaic law or at least this sign that God gave Abraham of yeah. circumcision. Yeah. You need to be at least circumcised in order to have true faith in Christ, to be a part of this family. And Paul would say, no. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 and 29, I'm not going to read all of it, but he starts to argue this because he says, this problem was made to Abraham before the law ever existed, right? Even before circumcision, this promise was made in Genesis 12. We don't have circumcision until chapter 17. Mm-hmm. And so Paul's arguing, this promise was here. And then he, then he says, the covenant that God made with Abraham was not annulled because of the new covenant that was made with Moses in the law. Yeah. Don't think that. And so he, he goes on, but then I just want to start in verse 23. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then here it is. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul's saying, you've got to get out of your mind this whole bloodline thing, gender thing, race thing, all this. That doesn't matter. In order to be Abraham's heir, it's all about by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what makes us yeah. family. And really the Jews should have should have been tipped off to this because the promise that tracks through the line of Abraham rarely follows, if ever, the anticipated heir, the firstborn. <laughs> right. yeah. it, it normally doesn't. Mm-hmm. It follows whatever God's wherever God directs it to go. Yeah. That's what it follows. Mm-hmm. And uh and so yeah, it should have they should have been tipped off to the fact that this isn't <laughs> The way that yeah. things normally happen. In well, the we world. can't put too much blame on them because I'm sure if we get to look back at us a oh, thousand we years, we'd there, be like, "Gosh, how did we not get tipped off to yeah, this?" <laughs> we would have been smart enough to know. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think people might ask, you know, why, why this? Why take the time to study to study this? Why is it important for us as Christians to grasp this and to understand this? And I think it's very important because I think for me. If there was one type of theology I wish people really grasped would be biblical theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other type, I, I guess it gets pitted against it most often, would be uh, systematic theology. Systematic theology is where you take something like, let's say, angels, and you find everything the Bible has to say about angels, and yeah. you say, okay, what is it saying? Or covenant. All right, what is everything the Bible it's saying like about covenant? like looking something up in a dictionary. Yeah, yeah. The more topical. Biblical theology is trying to step back from Scripture, from a high view, and say, what is happening here from Genesis to Revelation? What is God actually doing? What is the storyline that is being weaved throughout here? And for us to understand the fall, Mm. for us to understand Abraham and Moses and David 
for us to grasp, for uh, for what we're thinking is those four things are very foundational. If we as Christians today can grasp what God was doing there and see how grace and faith and all of this was being weaved throughout all of the Old Testament, we then become it becomes clear for us to understand really what Jesus accomplished mm. for us. Mm-hmm. It makes it deeper. Yeah. It it makes it more understandable and real so that you can have a conversation with somebody mm. about it all. That it's not just, oh, it's just something God came up with and so here's Jesus, boom, I fixed everything. No, yeah. it was a plan all along. Mm-hmm. And it's very important. And that's why I think it's important for us to take the time to teach through these things and these understandings. Mm-hmm. And again, I know someone could be sitting in here saying, why are we talking about this Jewish stuff that happened over there thousands of years ago? What does this have to do with me? Yeah. And the answer is it has a lot to do with you because if you're a Christian, that's your family. That's exactly what I was going to say. Another way, and I got this from my my Old Testament professor um, in seminary, is that when you're studying the Old Testament and the history of Israel, because you have been adopted into the family of God, what you're studying is your family history. Mm-hmm. You're adopted in that family, but that that I think that kind of goes into like, well, what true view do you have of adoption? Mm-hmm. When a child is adopted into a family, are they really part of that family? The answer in Scripture is yes, they are. They are fully part of that family, which means their history is, the family's history is their history. Mm-hmm. And so we as Christians, when we look back at Abraham, we are able to say, he is our father. <laughs> we this, this is our family history. The Exodus, that's we've inherited that history. Yeah. And, and we're studying about our family and where we come from. Yeah, there's a stigma around adoption. I've been a part of it, right, in my life. And people will say, I got I got four biological kids. Yeah. And, and I have two adopted kids. And I never, I don't like that distinction. I mean, I, I hear it and I hear people say it and I don't think they mean anything bad by it, but it does put a stigma as if there's something different. And we carry that with us, I think, to when we look at scripture of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And there's no stigma because because Paul specifically says mm-hmm. there's no more Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. There's no more Greek. There's no more male, female. There's no more slave or free. Yeah. We are all in Christ. We are part of, we are Abraham's offspring. There is yeah. none of that anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, exactly what you're saying. This is our family's lineage. lineage. Mm-hmm. This is what we hold to, mm-hmm. right? The shame of Israel disobeying, we can, we understand that. That's our family. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's an embarrassing part of our, of our life. Yeah. But, we also have this God man named Jesus who came and fixed everything, and we're we're a part of that family. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, next week, Scott. When you uh, preach on Moses and and the law, I'm sure you're all prepared and ready to go. Yeah. 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 Good. Hellfire and brimstone. The law. <laughs> the go. law. You better obey. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Cole> for all. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. All right. Well, I'm glad that you uh, listen. I hope that you are able to enjoy this uh, podcast here. We hope to keep doing this the best that we can. I know that we missed some weeks and we apologize for that. It's just with different schedules, people being out of town or whatever it might be, different ministry things that we're being a part of uh, doesn't always work out, but we try to do it as much as possible. So we'll, we'll keep that up through the holidays. We're actually, we're getting ready to record some podcasts here as well today. Uh, so we're looking forward looking forward to doing that. Well, again, thanks for listening. I hope you have a, a blessed week. I hope you have a blessed Christmas season and are able to enjoy it with family and friends, but most of all, able to remember what Christ has done for us. So God bless. Have a good week.